You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We the church, that'll be our theme through the month of September. So take your Bibles and turn today to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah Uh, chapter 6, as we take a look at a message entitled, Foundation Shaking. As I'm preaching, you can pray for me, you can hear my voice is a little bit weak, and I'm going to go until I run out of voice or run out of notes, either way, and uh, God will get the glory in it, and that's okay. Um, Foundation Shaking. You ever had an experience that shook you to your core? It, it just revolutionized your thinking. Maybe it was the, uh, uh, the birth of your first child and your life was just humming along and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, everything changed. Uh, maybe it was a sudden death of someone who you were close to and, and you weren't prepared for it and it, it shook you right to the core of your being. Uh, for Sue and I, it's been a couple things that have happened in our lives. With uh, We've had the family things, but uh, with an accident or uh, an injury, and it just shook you to the core. Uh, but sometimes there's outside things that shake us a little bit too. I remember when we lived out in uh, British Columbia, we lived on Vancouver Island. This is probably 25 years ago. And, and one morning, we weren't shaken out of bed, but we were shaken to get us out of bed as an, an earthquake hit in the area where we were. I'd never been in an earthquake before. I was a Southern Ontario boy. And uh, all of a sudden, everything was just shaking. We hear the dishes rattling, and we jumped out of bed, and we ran to the front window of the house because they were doing construction on the road. And I figured there must be great big compactors or something going down the road, but it was too early. Nothing was moving. And, and then we realized that an, an earthquake had hit. And and everything had been shaken, and it was shaken right to the foundations of who, of our home, but ultimately in things in our lives, right to the foundations of who we are. In the middle of our text, it says, and the foundations of the threshold shook. Foundation shaking. The reality of Christ in us, the reality of the church, the reality of what God has called us to should shake us to our core. So you've got your Bibles open. Let's stand together. I want to read to you Ephesians 6, and I'm going to read, or excuse me, Isaiah 6, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 9. Isaiah 6, 1 to 9. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, where my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. 
send me. And he said, go, go and then say to these people. And he goes off on a whole list of things that he is to communicate. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. This was a vision that Isaiah had of who you were and his response to it is amazing. And it's a great picture for us, so much for us to learn from it. So Lord, would you guide us as we look at your word today? Would you encourage our hearts as we realize who you are and all that you've accomplished and and how we are so cared for by a loving God who gave his son for us? Father, our, our foundations need to be shaken sometimes. We get too comfortable in our walk and in our faith. And I pray today as we look at the example of Isaiah, you would stir our hearts to be people of God, passionate to bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, Isaiah was a prophet back in the time when the uh, nation was divided. The nation has not yet gone into uh, captivity. The North hasn't anyways, and, but it's coming. And, and so Isaiah has the job of starting to bring the hammer down and, and tell the people what is coming, specifically for Judah to the South that are going to watch what happens in the North, but it's coming to them as well. And in the middle of all of this preparation and all that's going on in his life, uh, the Bible says that um, in the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah had a vision. Now, I want to say a couple things about visions uh, because so often today people come and they'll tell you stuff about what they've seen and what they've heard and and what the Lord has told them. Um, So, First thing, you need to understand that visions aren't common in Scripture. There's a number of them, but there's not a lot of them. Every time there is a vision, it's God revealing himself in some way about his character, about who he is, what he's calling someone to do. And and that's not usually what happens in our society today. Usually someone's coming and they're saying, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. And often it's the Lord told me something because I really want it to happen. If I had a dollar for every time somebody came to me and said, the Lord told me I should date this person. And it's like, is that person a Christian? Well, no. Okay, well, the Lord didn't tell you that. Whenever God speaks, he never, repeat after me, never Never. goes against his own character. God never is going to tell you to do something that God's word won't confirm is an okay thing for you to do. And so can God speak through a vision? Absolutely he can. Does he do it? Sure, but I don't believe it's common because I believe God has given us what we need for righteousness and understanding in the word. And so this is where we go first. And if God ever gives you a vision, you take it and you test it against this. And then you take it and test it with wise people about what is God saying to you. I just find in my life some of my greatest visions happen right after pizza or tamales or something. And it's, it's not from the Lord. And, uh, and so we just need to be careful around this whole area. But God has given Isaiah a vision. And the vision starts out in the year King Uzziah died. So just a real quick, a little bit of background. Uh, This guy, Uzziah, was 16 years old when he became the king. Uh, Students, don't ever let God, people tell you that God can't use you, you're too young. 
16 years old, and he becomes the king. You find his story over in uh, First Chronicles, uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, Second Chronicles, chapter 26. And so turn there, keep your finger in Isaiah and turn there because I want to get the foundation of this story. It's important for us as we think about this man, Isaiah, and what he's going through. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Second Chronicles 26, verse one. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of their father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. That's a great testimony. He set himself to seek the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, Ready? And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Then go down to verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So why is that important? Well, he was the king of the nation, but he wasn't a priest. And now he's taken on himself opportunity and responsibility that doesn't belong to him. He was the king of the nation, but he wasn't the priest that represented the people. He had no right to go in and do what he did. He got proud. He got arrogant. He thought, look at me. All of a sudden, Uzziah starts to want what he wants for himself more than he wants what God wants for him. He wants what he wants more than he wants what God wants. Down to verse 19, then Uzziah was angry. Now, he had a censer in his hand of, to burn incense, and then he became angry with the priests. Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. Then down to verse 22. Now, the rest of the acts of Uzziah from the first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, and Uzziah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings for they said he is a leper and Jotham his son reigned in his place. When you want what you want more than you want what God has for you, look out. Uh, trouble is coming your way. There are a lot of heads that were turned through the actions of this king. Um, his head was turned. His head was turned to anger and bitterness because he got proud and he got arrogant. And, and with leprosy, he would have been shunned by the people. He'd have to stay away from them. It says, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. But when he stopped seeking the Lord, then he came under God's judgment. His head was turned. The people's heads were turned. Uh, when you get home this afternoon, you can read the next verses after, in the passage that we're in in Isaiah 6 and, and just see the hammer that Isaiah is called to bring down on these people because they've turned their hearts, they've turned their heads away from God. But Isaiah's head, Isaiah's heart is turned to the Lord and we see it in this text. So what can we learn from that? What can we learn from the things that he goes through? Well, let's dive into the passage and let's see. Here's the first one. We, the church, worship in the presence of God. We worship in the presence of God. Back in Isaiah 6 again, he says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and the one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. We worship in the presence of God when we understand who we are, when we understand who I am. In the year King Uzziah died, people were making decisions. What direction are we going to go? King Uzziah turned his heart away from God. The people turned their heart away from God. We're going to see Isaiah turns his heart to God. So, so what's the significance of this statement in the year King Uzziah died? I think it's way more important than just a a marker in time. It's not just so that we could say, well, on this year, this is when that happened. I think there's far more that's going on. The the land has gone through a a time of prosperity, a time of focus towards God for most of it until Uzziah takes his eyes off of the Lord. Uh, People are comfortable in what's going on and and, and there's a peacefulness for them. And then this happens. And the question really comes down to, who are you going to trust in? That's what Isaiah faces. He's got to bring the the voice of the prophet to the nation. It's going to be a difficult time for him. And we have to understand who we are. When the foundations are gone, where will your hope be? When the hard thing comes in your life, that difficult, foundation-shaking experience, where will you turn? Will you turn your heart away from God? Or will you lean in and turn your heart to God? God gives us grace as we go through those things to, to uh, go through things that we can't even imagine. And it's, it's amazing to watch how God works. But the people didn't turn the right way and Zion didn't turn the right way. And, and sometimes I see and I wonder in our own lives when we go through the hard thing and we start to whine and complain and moan and groan or even curse and swear. In the year King Uzziah died, things were going along pretty well, but they're not going along well for long. Where would his heart turn? And when it's difficult... Where does your heart turn? You have to understand who we are and our frailty and our weakness and our, the sense of a prone to wander away from what God has for us. But, but look what happens in this vision. Look what happens for um, Isaiah. He understands who he is. Understanding who he is. In the text, the angels are speaking and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Now the reality is one holy would have covered it. But there's, there's emphasis being made here. And the, and, and the angels, as he's speaking to Isaiah, I'm gonna put it in the room, and the angel's like, to you, Jason, he's like, holy. No, 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 you don't get it. Holy. No, no, he sees everything. He understands everything. He is God. Holy. There, there's an emphasis going on here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And until you have a right view of who God is, you will always wander, you'll always turn to the wrong direction because your focus is on the wrong things. 
There's a lot of things we can learn about the character of God right out of this text. I got like seven or eight of them. You just want to write down like one word for each. But, but here's the first one. Um, God is alive. God is alive. In the year King Uzziah died, what is he? I saw the Lord. He's not going to die. When the things we trust in, when the things we hope in, when the things we have confidence in all fall apart, you get your eyes back on the Lord because he's not going anywhere. He does not die. He is eternal. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Uzziah, in the midst of his challenge and anxiety and all that's going on in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah might be dead but God isn't. Here's another thing about God. He's authoritative. He's sitting upon a throne. He's sitting on a throne. It speaks of God's authority. I love the fact that he's sitting. Like if it was me, I'd be like running around trying to get everything all fixed and make sure everything's all in the right place. And and God is in heaven and he's sitting on his throne. Why? Because he doesn't need to stand up and get all excited about all this stuff because he's God. It speaks of his authority. It speaks of the confidence It speaks of his power and all the rest will come to in just a second. And the foundations of the threshold shook. Why? Because God is the authority. Here's another one. God is above all others. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, high and lifted up above all others, above everything else above every other religious system, above every other forms that man brings for what he can add to, the, to the, the plan and all the things that God does. No, no, God is high and lifted up. God is the omnipotent, all-powerful one. God is the omniscient, all-knowing one. God is the omnipresent one who knows every one of us and our needs and our cares. And so as Isaiah gets his eyes off of Isaiah and onto God, he sees him as high and lifted it up. That's where I can put my trust. That's where I can put my hope. He's above all others. Here's another one. You may have not used this word in a long time, but God is resplendent. It's a, it's a great word. I'll tell you what it means in a minute. But it says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I can't find another word that kind of grasps all that this really, uh, what it means. It means. It means he's magnificent. It means he's brilliant. It means he's dazzling. It means he's impressive. It means he's imposing. It means he's spectacular. The train of his robe, it filled the temple. That's the character of our God. And then we learn that he is God who is to be revered. Above him stood the seraphim, the angels. Each had six wings. It says, with two they cover their eyes, with two they cover their feet, and with two they flew. The angels before God, they cover their eyes because they know they have no authority or no right to be in the presence of God Almighty. And so they cover their eyes, and with two they cover their feet because they know they have no right to walk in and be where God is. And with two they fly as they serve the Lord. God is to be revered. How much reverence did God get in your life this week? How much reverence did he get when you came before him in prayer to give praise and adoration to him? How much reverence did he get in your life when you fell on your face before him and cried out in your sin because he is God? How much reverence did he get in your walk as you lived with your family and went and did the things you did this week? 
The angels, they cover their eyes. They cover their feet because they know they have no right to see God. They have no right to be in his presence. And they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God, you are separate from us. You are not us. We shouldn't be flippant with you. God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let the word, yet your words be few, Ecclesiastes says. Over in Isaiah 40, 25, Isaiah wrote this. To whom then will you compare me? This is God speaking. That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Have you brought God down to your level? Is he just your buddy along the way? He is your father. You can cry, Abba, Father. But he's holy. He is God. He is separate from us. And then here's the last one. He is glorious. God is glorious. Uh, Right in the end of verse three, it says, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And that leads us to the next uh, sub point here, understanding the goal. Understanding the goal. The goal of our lives, the goal of our church is the glory of God. The whole earth is full of his glory. Our mission statement of our church is to what? To Right, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Everything that we do around here is to glorify God. I think we sometimes get that confused. I know I do, and you can too. But but the goal is to bring glory to God. The goal isn't to get people saved. That's a, a result that happens. The goal isn't sanctification. That's a result that happens. The goal is not to have the best harvest kids in the world or the best Awana or the best youth ministry or the best young adults or men's or women's or small group ministry or or discipleship program. The goal, that's not the goal. The goal is to glorify God. That's why we're here. And when we come about something else, it becomes difficult for us to do those other things. Let me give you an illustration. If, if I'm working with those little rugrats in Awana, which I'm thankful I don't, but if I'm working with those little rugrats in Awana and after week three with little Johnny who's driving me around the bend, if, if, if it's for serving Awana, I'm quitting after week three. I don't need this anymore. I don't need this grief. I don't need this pain. But if my goal is to glorify God. I'm investing in little Johnny and I'm not giving up on him. Serving in men's ministry, serving in women's ministry and people say things and things are hurtful and it can happen and it does from time to time. And if you're there for that thing, if you're there to please somebody else, if you're, you're gonna quit. But that's not why we're there. The whole earth is full of his glory. The purpose in what we do is to glorify God and we do it through all of those things. So I'm not putting those things down. Those things are critical and it's how God works. But the earth is filled with his his glory. I believe God's glory is really the uh, demonstration of his attributes in the way we see them. 
God's glory then is demonstrated in his holiness. It's demonstrated in his grace for us. It's demonstrated in his mercy. It's demonstrated in his creativity. It's demonstrated in his omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence. And all of those things, they demonstrate the glory of God. And that's what we need to be about as followers of Jesus Christ. We live the lives we live. We're passionate for God. Why? To bring him glory. The Westminster Catechism gets it right. The chief end of man is to glorify God. If the chief end of man is to put on a good show on Sunday, then we failed miserably. But if the goal is to bring God glory, then he will work and lives will be changed. People quit, people pack it in, people give up because they've got their eyes on the wrong goal. The goal is to bring glory to God. We, the church, we worship in the presence of God when we understand best who we are, we understand who he is, and we understand what the goal of what we're doing is. Here's the next thing. We, the church, walk in the knowledge of God. We walk in the knowledge of God. I look at verse five, and I said, Woe is me. We start to see the application of what's going on in Uzziah's life, Isaiah's life. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we walk in the knowledge of God, the first thing we see is the reality of our sin. Isaiah is going through this experience of Uzziah dying. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And he sees the Lord and all in God and all of his character and all as he's done. And what happens? He's on his face before God. Woe is me. Woe is me because I'm a sinner. The reality of our sin. So often in our lives, we don't take sin seriously today. We play around with it. We don't see sin like God sees it. We don't hate sin like God hates it. And even as I'm talking, things going through your mind, and you're like, yeah, that's true. I don't. God would hate that thing in my life. And I don't hate it like he hates it. When, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he cried out, woe is me. It's not like, oh my goodness, I guess I'm a bad person. No, no, whoa, I'm a total bomb on this. Woe is me. And what we do is we, we try to bring the bar down so we don't feel so bad about ourselves and do this in a couple of ways. One way we do it is to compare ourselves to other people. I look at other people and, well, that guy goes to our church and like, he's pretty messed up and so you know, I'm better than he is. And although we theologically know that's not right, that's what we do. And, and I'm not like him, a good picture of that in the New Testament, right? In before God and I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. And, uh, and we do that in our life sometime, and we're looking around us, and they go, no, 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 I'm, I'm the pastor here, and I, I'm better than most of those guys. Most of them are pretty messed up people in my church. I'm not as messed up as they are. And, and we just bring the bar down to a level where we can crawl over it, and then we feel better about ourselves. And we don't think about sin like God thinks about sin. We don't hate sin like God hates sin. We don't love God out of his character and who he is and what he's accomplished for us. And so the way we get over that is we just compare ourselves. We find the lowest common denominator. And eventually you'll find somebody worse than you. It might take you a day or two, but you'll find somebody and then you'll feel good about yourself. Or we compare ourselves to the world and uh, to its system. 
its system of right and wrong. Well, you know, the world says it's okay to do this and everybody's doing it and so therefore it's okay for me to do it and, and the world's perversion about uh, sexuality and, and marriage, the world's a perversion about right and wrong, the world's perversion about standards that are true and, and so we don't have to be people of honesty and we don't have to be people of integrity. You just gotta find people around you who you're better than, you'll feel better than them and, and you think somehow you climb over it. See, our problem is we get a wrong view of sin. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Woe is me. When was the last time you had a woe is me experience before God? Woe is me. We look at the standard of others, we look at the standard of the world and we think we're okay. Romans 3 says, um, there is none who is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23 says, um, for all have sinned and fall short of what? Right, isn't it? You think, we might have got that from Isaiah. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Romans 6, 23, and Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we see God like we should, we understand the reality of sin. But here's the next thing, because there's great news here, and that is we come under the grace of God. Then one of the seraphim in verse six flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The knowledge of grace. Isaiah doesn't deserve God's grace. Isaiah gets it. God is awesome. I am a mess. And then he experiences God's grace. Here's a little nugget for us in this text. He experiences it personally. If the angel comes and he deals with him, a little warning for us as the church. Hey, if you're here and you're like, well, no, my mom and dad went to church and I believe kind of the things they believe and I'll be okay because they were okay. Eh, Wrong answer. Faith in Christ and God's grace is a personal thing that God does in your life. We need to experience the grace of God on a personal level. And I love the fact that the angel comes and I know it's his vision, but he comes to him. It's personally applied. It's true for Isaiah and it's true for us. We get what we don't deserve. And God in his grace comes down and he gives to Isaiah the forgiveness that he doesn't earn, that he doesn't deserve and he freely gives it. And we've seen that fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ who who came and paid the price for our sin that we couldn't pay so that we could have eternal life. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's not enough good things I could do that it could ever offset the sin that's in my life because God's standard is no sin and there's no way I can ever climb over that mountain. That gap is too big. Only Jesus Christ By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works because then you can't boast. It's a free gift. 
And God brings the free gift in Jesus Christ and he presents it before you. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's not some mystical, magical, it's coming before God. Woe is me. I need a savior. That savior is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Today I'm putting my trust in him. I'm not, I'm not gonna try to get to heaven anymore. I'm not gonna work to get to heaven anymore. I'm gonna go, it's all about Jesus. Isaiah understood what, what God was doing as he came and what amazing words. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Mike, when you trusted Jesus Christ, your sin was taken away. It was atoned for. It was paid for. The reality of sin, the knowledge of grace, the understanding that you need a savior and he is Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, I urge you today, this would be the day you would put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Why? Why is that all possible for us? And the next point is because of the confidence. Our confidence is in God. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Your restoration is not in your hands. It's in the hands of the Almighty. God sends the angel and the angel comes and, and his sin is gone. Not because of what he did. All he could do is cry out, woe is me. But God atones and God takes care of. And our confidence, therefore, is not in us. Do you realize how freeing that is for you? As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are living defeated in your walk, it's because you don't understand grace. You don't understand what Christ did for you. You're not taking hold of the finished work of Christ and rejoicing in it. And if you've never trusted Christ, that freedom can be yours in Christ. Oh, does that mean that as a follower of Christ then I, I don't have conviction about my sin? You better believe I do. The better I understand who God is, the more conviction I have about my sin. The greater I understand who God is, the more we're gonna see him. I wanna serve him because God is awesome. Look what he's done for us. And we live out of the reality of what the gospel has accomplished in our lives. Sometimes we carry guilt that we don't need to carry because... Our sin has been atoned for. And Satan throws that lie in your face. You're too messed up. You're too screwed up. You're too. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah said in Isaiah 118, come, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do you realize how far that is from the east to the west? Like, that's forever. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. It's not that, that your sins can be brought up again the next time you mess up. No, that your sins may be blotted out. They're gone. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And one more. 
Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We, the church, we worship in his presence. We walk in the knowledge of God. And then we work. We work in response to who God is. Uh, Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go. We work in response to God because you have heard from the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying. As you come to this church and become part of the body of Jesus Christ here, there are going to be opportunities that are put out before you. And, and the question that we always have is, where will you serve? We, we talk about a disciple in the church as being one who worships Christ, walks with Christ, small groups, and works for Christ. And, and where do you serve? And, and so Isaiah now is in a right place before God. His sin has been atoned for. And the next things that come out of the voice of the Lord are, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Nobody's left on the shelf. There's nobody who can't serve. There's not a place for everybody. Everyone has an opportunity. Who will I send and who will go for us? And what's God calling you to do in serving? No one's called to just sit and listen. There are times when you need to heal and things need to happen in our lives, but God's not looking for consumers. He's looking for people who are committed to serve. I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, have you heard the voice of the Lord? Is God speaking to you about where you can be involved and where you can serve as a follower of Jesus Christ who understands a little bit better the glory of God, understands the forgiveness of our sins? The right response for us is, what can I do? Where can I serve? You've heard the Lord. The next thing is because you've been called. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? We all have a job to do. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Over in uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of him, the glory, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've heard the Lord. You've been called by God. And you've been commissioned. Uh, Last week, uh, Mike uh, preached so well. Um, from Joshua uh, chapter one about being courageous. And, um, and God said to him there, just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not leave you. I won't forsake you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go into all the world and make disciples. All of us. We all have a responsibility. We all have a job to do. And what will your response be? Let me tell you what Isaiah's response was. I'll go. I'll do whatever it is. 
I'm not going to read the next verses. I really want to challenge you to read them because God didn't call him to an easy thing. God called him to a very difficult thing. And so often people uh, preach um, this text and they stop like we're going to in this verse and they forget the next verses. Isaiah is given the job to bring the hammer down for God in prophecy. It's not going to be good for them. There's going to be a remnant left. The rest of them, it's going to be bad for them. It's going to be hard for them. And the never, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you is God's promise to him. And he's stepping up and he's ready to go. Based on God's glory, based on his forgiveness, based on what he's done, are you ready to step up? Are you ready to go? Are you committed to serve What will you do to bring glory to God because of what he's accomplished in your life? Well, so what? So what? Worship, walk, and work are words we use around here for a design for discipleship. A person who is obedient to God is a person who worships Christ. It's a person who walks with Christ. And we talk about how we do that in small groups here and how we have accountability and encouragement and we do life together. And there's a person who works for Christ. It won't be easy. Some days you'll want to quit. And if you're doing it for yourself or to please somebody else, you won't make it. But if you do it for the glory of God, then you will see success When Isaiah saw the Lord, it rocked his world. The foundations of the threshold shook. As you see the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple and the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Is your foundation shook? Are you a woe is me person? who's experiencing God's grace first in salvation and then God's care and restoration for you. And as your foundation shook, so you're gonna be one of those people who are gonna, I'm, I'm getting out, I'm getting out, I'm doing something. I'm not sitting on the, I'm not sitting anymore. It's time for me to get involved. It's time for me to be a part. Not for me, not for me. And don't do it for yourself. And you don't do it for the pastor and you don't do it for the church. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 115, 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. His world was shaken. It changed his heart. It changed his direction. It made him obedient in the most difficult times. What difference will it make in your life? What difference will it make this afternoon? What difference will it make tomorrow? What difference will it make when you go out into the ministry fair and see all of the opportunities that you can be a part of in serving Christ for his glory in this church? Not to us. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. The purpose of Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in that heart and passion of the Great Commandment. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. We thank you for it. Do the work in our heart that only you can do. 
Take away the complacency and the comfort of, of being a consumer and give us a passion to be people who aren't fixated on what other people think and, and what they might respond or, or Lord, I'm not able to do that and, and put our eyes and fix them on Jesus Christ. Give us a passion that's about your fame and about your glory. And I'm not gonna worry about what man will say. I will be concerned about God, what you will say one day. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Woe is me, God. I deserve none of this. What I have in Christ, the finished work of salvation is because you are an awesome God and I deserve none of it. Well, then who will go and who will serve? Here am I, Lord. Father, what's that in each person's life? Would you do that work in them? Bring them to a place of, of what am I gonna do as a result of being in church today? How will my being here impact my desire to bring you fame, to bring you glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name.